0: Three inspirational women are the stars of our latest episode of Soundtracking as we bring you another of our live events recorded at London's British Film Institute. Carly Paradis, Amelia Warner and Emily Levenez farouche are all making big waves in the world of film composition, which, let's be honest, is like the rest of the business, rather male-dominated. So it was an absolute pleasure to get them on stage together in front of an audience to celebrate their work. Though this was recorded uh, quite a few months ago, we've held it back because on June the 12th in London, a new concert event celebrating the work of women composers in film and media will take place at Earth in Hackney. Carly, Amelia and Emily are amongst the composers being showcased as well as Jessica Jones, Anne Nicotin, Kate Simcoe, Jessica Curry, Jocelyn Pooke, and Anita Desai Imogen Heap Alev Lenz and Claire M Singer it's sure to be an absolutely cracking night if you fancy going along just head to earthhackney.co.uk for more information and so to these wonderful women who we'll get to after a short montage of their music everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Um, this is our third um, outing here at the BFI, bringing the podcast here. And it's um, it's been a really lovely journey. Each one's been very different. And I'm so excited about today because the thing that I find the most frustrating about the podcast is having access to female composers and being able to enthuse about the wonderful work that they do. So when Anna and the team at the BFI uh, asked me if I'd get involved in their fantastic Podstock Festival, I was like, yes. And then started approaching female composers that I really admire. And I'm so lucky and thrilled to have three of them here today to join us to not only talk about their work, we're also going to hear some of their fantastic work as well. So please make them feel welcome. For one of them, it's her very first time doing anything like this and talking about her work, particularly in public. Um, please put your hands together and welcome Carly Parody, Amelia Warner, there we go, <laughs> and Emily levinas Farouche. Ladies! Oh yeah, grab a mic, sorry. I didn't know if you had a favourite colour, but, you know, <laughs> straight for the green. <laughs> They're on, so you don't need to touch anything. There we go. Just remember to talk into them. Thank you so much for being here, from coming from close by, from, you know, out in the country, all that kind of thing. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate it. We're going to hear some great excerpts from from your work um, throughout the, the session, but I thought it'd be really nice to kind of start by speaking to you all individually about your journey here and how that journey into composing for film and tv started and and why it was something that you wanted to pursue as a career carly do you want to start
1: yeah so i think everybody's journey is different um and there's no rule book on it you gotta have to figure it out yourself so for me it was just starting playing piano at a really young age so yeah i just started writing little piano tunes at the age of nine and then uh, did the whole classical piano thing but always loved the pop world as well and i i got my undergrad degree in music and multimedia because i liked the tech side of stuff and then i joined an indie band locally in canada Subcode. cold it was a long time ago i don't want to talk about it <laughs> come
0: on we've all been in bands with really bad names well over drink we'll talk okay <laughs> um, i'll tell you my two if you want if it makes you feel better Warp factor and Groovers on manoeuvres. I mean, come on! It's like the Groover from Vancouver. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So. <laughs> so then, um, and then I was a substitute teacher because I needed to make money to um, to fund, you know, recording and, and touring or whatever. I went to a lot of film and music conferences to meet people and learn. And then I always knew in my heart I wanted to do. Uh, instrumental in film and television and for me the first door opening was one message to Clint Mansell who's my hero and it literally you know it was that first kind of step towards taking that career path which Mm -hmm. I always wanted to do. Amelia what about you?
2: Um, I came kind of quite a roundabout way um, I guess and I was an actress at first so that was my kind of into film I guess mm. and and I loved it and I had a great time but I, I realized quite quickly that I was doing the wrong bit yeah. and, um, <laughs> and though I loved the industry and I loved film and I loved that world I, I didn't feel comfortable with my role in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I, I started, I, I mean, I'd always written music and I'd played the piano since I was little and kind of similar to you. I sat at the piano and wrote little stories. And so that had always been a part of my life and I'd always written music. And then I started to kind of, t- you know, pursue that and take that more seriously. And I started to release some music. And I did a couple of commercials and I did a couple of short films for friends. And I always really enjoyed the, putting picture, um, music to picture mm. and, and definitely thought that it was something I wanted to do more of. And then I was releasing my own music and, and a director heard the EP and heard a track and kind of said, could we have the track for the film? Great. And I was Great. like, well, yeah, you can have the track, but who's scoring it? And he was like, oh, we don't know. And I was like, "Well, <laughs> you know, I could give you the track and I could write more <laughs> tracks around <laughs> yeah. that track. And that was the fir- And that's how it kind of happened. Did
0: you ever use music when you were acting as performance to help you get into character or to help you discover character yeah
2: it was definitely a huge part of it for me and i think and sometimes i loved it when you'd work on a film and the director would use music and play music and you know that made such a difference for me yeah emily what about for you
3: i think like all three ladies or two other ladies here tonight (laughs) is just starting the piano um from a classical point of view when i was growing up and then I don't know I didn't I'm not from a very uh, musical family no one is a professional musician so I didn't really I didn't really take it as a potential career Mm. until I was in my early 20s and then because of the way music education is in France it became pretty clear that if I wanted to get to learn how to use a recording studio and the kind of more business aspect of the music industry I would have to come to England and uh, so I came here to do a bachelor degree and it was in a campus where there was film students and film (laughs) students need music so I started doing short films with them and that really got me hooked into you know how making music for moving images is completely different from writing your own music and I really enjoyed that so.
0: But that's something you all do and you all have done and you all continue to do is write your own music and release your own music. Mm -hmm. Why is that important?
3: I think it's Pretty different because um, when you make music for film, you kind of have to put... It's A film is not an excuse to make music. Mm-hmm. You have to become a filmmaker and kind of serve the project. But sometimes you have ideas or techniques that you would just want to have a go at and just pursue for yourself. And when you're recording your own music and re- releasing your own music, that also gives you that space. So both, both work pretty well together, I think.
0: It's a different approach, if you you know of a day you're going i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna work for me today you know in terms of my stuff rather than i'm gonna work for this project do you approach it differently it's a different not state of mind but
2: yeah i think you i think like you were saying you you can kind of be maybe take more risks or you can just try things out whereas you're not going to do that on somebody's film or at the expense of a plot or a story you know you're not going to be kind of messing around with big um with with uh, experimental ideas or and i think it's quite nice because with a film you're always serving the film and that's the most important thing and you're always trying to um to achieve the director's vision and what he wants she wants and um and i think that with your own music you can just kind of it's like a clean slate it's kind of like you can just you can just be true to your own aesthetic and Mm. you don't have to be factoring in those things you can be more indulgent i guess in a way
1: yeah i think it's important to explore your own voice and it's just 100 you, you also can own it, which (laughs) you can't. (laughs) Not always do. Yeah, so that's a nice thing to own,
0: actually own your own music. Yeah. Can you think about when you were I mean, it doesn't need to be like when you were a kid, but those pieces of film or TV where the music really resonated with you, whether that be because of the composer or because of the collaboration between the composer and director. Are there pieces that stand out to you or films that stand out to you that have, either from an early age or even recently, that have have really resonated with you?
1: Yeah, for me, I think um, I was too young to watch the series, but it was Twin Peaks, and it was that opening beautiful score um, that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. So obviously Clint Mansell's Requiem for Dream, that blew my mind as well. (laughs)
2: Get to play on it though
1: not I? I I know I'm like <laughs> pinching myself on stage <laughs> I'm like oh but um
2: yeah how about you yeah guys? I think Twin Peaks for me as well I remember that being a real kind of moment and a standout thing of going oh wow music can do this it doesn't just have to be background and yeah and then um and then I remember seeing um Michael Winterbottom film called Wonderland and it's Michael Nyman score and it's this really gritty urban drama and then there's this beautiful score and it's so orchestral and it's so warm and it's so and it just gave the film this dignity and this in the juxtaposition of the two things and I just remember thinking oh wow so Mm. music can do that yeah it, it was amazing
0: Was a French cinema for you, or, or, or well, I, d- I
3: think it's also a Nyman film for <laughs> me, but it's the piano because oh, that was just mind blowing. <laughs> Growing up, I was watching a lot of French musical the Jacques Denis ones, so Young Girls of Rochefort and all this thing, because yeah, the music is so important in those, and that was really influential. Je
4: cherche partout, tout autour de la terre, de Bali à Lima, des cousettes aux marquises. Du ciel de l'île de Saint Au ciel de l'île d'Élise Je l'ai couru partout Et de partout j'espère Le seul fait d'exister La rend incomparable Le seul fait d'être là La rend plus désirable Que mille filles nues Dans mille rêves fous J'ai fait le tour du monde Je l'ai cherché partout. Est-elle loin d'ici? Est-elle près de moi? Je n'en sais rien encore, mais je sais qu'elle existe. Est-elle pécheresse, ou bien fille de roi, star de cinérama, ou modeste fleuriste? Je sais qu'elle m'appartiendra. It was really nice. I
0: think it was was this year, I think, the piano had an anniversary, and so it got a kind of re-release on the big screen, and to kind of watch that film on the big screen was just with that score the piano yeah, was incredible. It's, incredible
2: it's just the two the film and the score are so married together like yeah. you cannot I mean they, they they are so unified and they almost don't stand they do stand alone and I love listening to the score but it's just it's an amazing kind of marriage the yeah. two things
0: all very kindly brought pieces in as well that we're, we're going to play um Emily we're going to start with you if that's okay and what's lovely is that um you had a film that premiered at the BFI London Film Festival um just two weeks ago I think it was, was yeah it yeah? was two weeks ago um uh, called Only You mm-hmm. um can you talk a little bit about first about how you came to be involved in the project and what appealed to you about being involved in it
3: I think I came to the project through the producers who are the Bureau which is one of the best um, production companies in the UK I really like taking chances on young filmmakers. Yeah, I think they were still looking for a composer even though they had it they was picture locked, everything was quite advanced and they asked me f- to come for a meeting and I watched the film beforehand and as soon as I, as soon as I watched it I knew I really wanted to be on the project <laughs> because it's just a really simple story and everything on paper sounds so simple. But it's actually really hard to make it to do it well, mm-hmm. and I think that like Harry really succeeded in creating this kind of intimacy, and everything worked. So I just prepared for that meeting and tried to make them understand I would do my best work ever for them.
0: In that environment, do you have to do you have to play anything? Do you have to? How does it work? Is it is it like a is it an, is it an audition? Is it an interview? Is it how, what's the kind of process? In that it,
3: case, it was so talking about how i would see approaching the score but also they asked me to make little demos just to get a sense of what musically i would want to do and i don't think we used any of the music from the demos but it still gave them an idea of what direction i would go
0: you really want to see the film. <laughs> Congratulations. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's really interesting because that's a really good example, I think, of where the music's part of the narrative. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no communication going on there verbally. There's, there's no script. And your music's doing so much in terms of where those characters are. And, and so where did you start with, with that specific piece?
3: Well, that's the thing. It, what took the longest wasn't necessarily finding the melody, but finding the, the tone. And that was just um, through talking with the director.
0: We're going to hear another piece, just audio now. And um, we'll play it first, and then we'll come back and talk about it. This is another piece from Only You. Talk a little bit about the creation of that because there's, there's, there's more to it in terms of the instrumentation and mm-hmm. beautiful kind of use of string instruments in there as well.
3: Um, I think pretty early on talking with the team, because the film is really intimate and it's shot in a really intimate manner, that we thought the instrumentation should stay pretty pretty intimate as well. So we kept it to piano and cello. And on this one, I recorded the the piano. So again, the, the tone was really important because it influenced as well the way I, I would play the piece. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just. Does it so all
0: start on the piano, you know, in terms of when, and is that the same for all of you when you're, when you sit down to think about creating a piece for either a scene or you're trying to find a, find a theme or a mood or an emotion and stuff? Does it all start sat down at a piano or?
1: Sometimes it's just into my phone recording. Singing? Yeah, like some kind of a rhythm or <laughs> singing or yeah. something really weird I will never show you.
5: <laughs>
0: ah, wish you'd brought that clip with you. <laughs> um, uh,
1: but for me mostly, uh, yeah, the piano is, I, I find that's the best way I can get yeah. out what I'm feeling or trying to connect with the script or the character or a scene or Atmosphere, whatever. And
2: I've got hundreds of voice notes on my phone, and they. usually, when I'm out on a walk, like something will kind of appear in my head. But yeah, they're just awful, and then really embarrassing. Like you know, they, when you, they're in the cloud, and they end up transferring onto a computer, and it was just like, oh my god, beatboxing. You know, it's just awful. Um, but yeah, I, I usually always start at the um, at the piano. Yeah,
0: Emma, can you talk about as well? This you know this project was this your first full length feature
3: or? Mm, I had done other ones before, yeah. but micro budgets or like art documentary. But in yeah. terms of
0: one that's going to have a cinema release yes, is that there exciting for you? Yes, because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so, yeah. you had your first, or you had proper experience during the London Film Festival mm-hmm. where you sat and watched it yeah. with an audience. Yeah. What was that experience like? It's really interesting
3: for all the more uh, comedic moments because when you just watch it in like in a room with three other people, it's kind of difficult to know how funny they are, and then you're in a room with I don't know maybe like 300 other people and people are laughing and it just feels just it feels great <laughs> it really feels good because you, you really know it, it's working yeah and that you can only only know with an audience and it's how does it feel really to hear your score painful I'm not <laughs> gonna lie it's very difficult to not think about like how is it sounding how is the mix sounding yeah did I did, yeah I'm still very critical of it even, even just now. Yeah, really? It's yeah,
0: it's uncomfortable. Oh, I'm wow. not gonna lie. <laughs> we all loved it. It <laughs> was <laughs> great. We have got another piece to, sh- uh, to listen to as well. Can you talk a little bit about scale of? Vol- I can't even say it now. Volatility. Yes. Yeah.
3: So that's from um, from my first album. Again, when we were talking about how making your own music can allow you to just try out ideas that would not necessarily have their place in a film. That's exactly that. I just wanted to. And it's still pretty cinematic, it's still piano and um, string quartered from the London Contemporary Orchestra, but it was just, uh, just for me, <laughs> it's just a guilty pleasure.
0: So cinematic. It's so cinematic. Have you had, that's from the first record, Epoch, the second record was out just a couple of months
3: ago? Yes, right? in, in July.
0: I can imagine, you know, it's a great way as well of, of showcasing mm-hmm. to people the type of thing that you, you can do as well, you know, when there are no restrictions. Is yeah, that kind not of, sure. not what you're thinking about, but what it gives you the opportunity to do?
3: It does, it does create a, a really nice cool card and uh, yeah, it just he called
0: me.
1: <laughs> yeah, after I heard that song, I asked Emily to collaborate on custom effects for Netflix The Innocents. Because yeah. I just, I thought it was like Amazing. So Amazing. Yeah. I'm like butting it. <laughs> no, no, it's
3: good. Please. <laughs> it worked yeah it did it did work but it's true I mean it's very uh, it's very good especially when you're starting out and you don't necessarily have the biggest portfolio of music for film suddenly you have 40 minutes of instrumental music that you really love yeah. and that you've worked on for months and months and you can send that and show what you're capable of doing and I think it really helps and it really makes a difference
0: Carly, we're going to move on to you. We've got some great stuff to show from you. I mean, it feels like you've—it feels you've been so busy as well. Um, partic- yeah. I mean, it's been non-stop really yeah. for you. Been I mean, quite a lot of series, which I want to kind of talk about what that involves in terms of the workload because <laughs> <laughs> no sleep. Are you, have you started Line of Duty series six yet? No, five. Yeah, so five's five? filming
1: right now. Okay. And then six will film next year.
0: But you already know you're doing that. That's kind of like. Uh, yeah. My, the, we the, <laughs> My agents work on it, <laughs> but but when you work on something that's a series, obviously there are familiar themes that recur, like uh, you know, cl- sort of the theme tune up to to the series and stuff. But every episode is a completely new thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Line of Duty was was wicked because I I got to be myself, um, right. and they were looking for a fresh a uh, take on the cop procedural drama. Yeah in this case, cop corruption. And yeah, it's great, Cause, and i also a huge fan of themes. So I got to write a cool theme at the end credits and the opening. Um, and and actually, the end credits theme, I wrote the bones of it from reading the scripts of, of series one, because you can get a lot from just the script. And Jed is a brilliant human being and writer. So that, you know, and the team is awesome. So it was very ins- inspirational. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent here. That's no, good, just keep talking. All right, so
5: <laughs> the TV series,
1: <laughs> um, it, it's cool because once... The hardest part, and I don't know if you guys find this as well, the hardest part is the very beginning, you've got a blank canvas and you've got to find the tone, you've got to find the themes, the melodies, what works, what doesn't. Yeah. But once you nail uh, episode one, it tends to flow better. And and this was a great series because um, they wanted to keep that tone throughout. So, you know, reworking, evolving themes, mm. um, you know, some new stuff, but in general, keeping that line of duty voice yeah. um, throughout. To walk it okay so yeah again these our journeys are so weird and different and for that one uh luckily uh clint mansell who, I, who i've been working with and touring with um he put my name in the hat because he had worked with that production company before and then also Jake Leshington, who I worked on two of his short films, he ooh, was a huge, huge fly. fly, go away,
0: not <laughs> on the screen and everything.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so he, I worked on two short films with him, and he put my name in the hat, and he ended up working at the production company. Mm. So I got my foot in the door for the interview, and then they asked to do a demo, and I did a demo on some of the rough scenes, and it was what they were looking at. So it, it's a lot of being ready, luck, and timing, and yeah, and with that, you know,
0: it, it, the show took off, mm. you know, and it's it's doing amazing, so good. And um, we're going to hear actually the um, I think it's the end title. So we're going to hear from yes, Lineage yes, J- U here, and, the and then we'll we'll talk about it after this.
1: Like an you know an office bell like in the olden days. It's like ding. I need service. Because <laughs> I thought of them sitting at their desks. Someone coming up, going. Yeah.
0: There's been a murder.
5: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And that, that here in that room reminds me of normally like watching the telly and going no. <laughs> at the end of an episode. Uh, yeah, it, I, I wanted, uh, you know,
1: because, again, Jed so brilliantly writes the ending to have these major cliffhangers at the end. Yeah. So I wanted this feeling of a runaway train, downward spiral, and we're going
0: somewhere and grab the edge of your seats because it's going to be bad. <laughs> <laughs> and so they've, they're they shooting five at the minute and you're about to start the music on it or have you started yet?
1: Um, actually, I've only read script one. I need oh, wow. to read some more stuff, yeah. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that, yeah, so... Yeah, probably end of this month.
0: Wow. And do you? How does it work with that then? Do you? Is it? They give you the script, or do you get rough edits of? Or how? How does it? What do you get fed to then? Kind of compose to.
1: Well, yeah. Usually, it, you know, we get the scripts to read, and then we talk to the team and talk about all, all the ideas and what they're looking for. Um, with with this, because it's an episodic and it's into series five, it would be yeah, going going through maybe the rough cut of episode one and talking with Jed and the, the you know, producer's editor. Yeah, what, what they're looking for, if there's any new thematic elements to uh, want to talk about.
0: Is it, a, I don't want to say more work, because it's, it's a different experience, I imagine, working on a, a series than, a, than it is a, a one-off film or a, or a one-off episode?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, the amount of music that you have to make for series is a lot more, and it's in a shorter time <laughs> yeah. time frame, usually. But, yeah, again, you can rework and reuse stuff. Um, And it's cool because you you can kind of – you have more time, I guess, to learn about the characters and and develop Mm -hmm. more. And this has been going on since 2011 now. So, yeah, you get to know – you become a family. Like, you get to know everybody, you know, working on it. And it's it's a real joy when you get in that scenario. Do you
2: have different directors coming in the whole time? Is it kind of constantly changing? You must be one of the people who've been on it the longest almost at this stage.
1: Um, Yeah, there's been – there's two blocks, because the the way the schedule works, they need to shoot you know, block one with one editor and one director, and then they start editing and working on that while the other block director and editor are doing their thing. Um, so there, But there has been some consistencies, but there's also been, yeah, some directors that come in for one block. Because it's kind of cool to like learn. You learn a lot and meet all these great talents.
0: We're going to talk about The Innocence, which, um, if, if you haven't seen yet, is a, is a fantastic Netflix series, and the music is incredible in this it really is oh thank you congratulations we're going to hear um, a clip of it right now that should be released as a single it's coming out on
1: my next album is it? which i'm going to be recording this month uh, the other tracks
0: um yeah and with vocal what did you talk about that kind of you know the the, the idea of adding a vocal into it and how that kind of came about and why you wanted to go down that route
1: um actually it's kind of a funny story (laughs) um because the end the end credits they were about 38 seconds long and i and i i wrote a couple ideas and then the instrumental version of this ended up as as the the ending and then then episode two came and the end credits were a minute long or a minute and something seconds and I go hold on uh, I've already recorded and mixed the end, <laughs> so it, it was actually it was a, it was an opportunity as well because um, I was in the studio at air with London Contemporary Orchestra and I had them record I had written a song version of it anyway just to put up my sleeve and I had them record the strings so when that happened. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I actually already have a longer version. I'm going to edit that down. And then I had these lyrics, and then I showed, I demoed really horribly my voice over it uh, to show the team, and they, they liked with voice on it because the show was quite epic and cinematic. And so I literally had like a day to get, a day or two or whatever to get in. <laughs> book a a singer and and I had um, this artist named Ira her name is Anna she's from Norway it was kind of a cool combo to have a Norwegian singer you know and then record all the stuff um, with British musicians because it's all shot in Norway and the UK and so it turned out really cool. I'm I'm really happy that it, it turned out like that. Mm. So the moral of the story is always have little things up your sleeve and always <laughs> extend <laughs> your cues when you're writing them. You never know what's going to
0: happen. This, is that sometimes how it works? Where they'll kind of go, "We need 42 seconds worth for this bit." Is that is that how it can work sometimes? Is it that kind of sort of specific? Well, I guess the spot sessions, right? We, yeah. yeah, we all do our, our spot sessions yeah. with the
2: team and find where the cues are going to go, how long they're going to be. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, there's no, f- then It's not very flexible, usually. You know, the, they are 15 seconds or 10, you know, and they, they don't really... You can't kind of say, yeah, but could you just... Could <laughs> you just let <laughs> it run a bit a longer because I really <laughs> yeah. like this melody and it's <laughs> <Yeah>. more reverb. <laughs> yeah. What about... I know you're a sci-fi
0: fan, so kind of entering that world and, and, and you creating this score for that, was that fun and... And do you think about that specifically with genre, you know, uh, you know going into it differently with a different genre?
1: Yeah, for instrumentation, I, I I was kindly loaned this SX one by Digitana. There's this chemistry prof here in in um, London by day. He's a chem prof, and then in the evening he he'll modify like mod synths. And he's he, him and Future Sound of London made this SX one module that I got to play with. And there's a, at the time there's only you know three of them that existed, ah. so that was great to get in there and mess you know mess around with that. But uh, the story for me, you know, it was the relationship of the mothers and their daughters and, and uh, finding your, you know, being, finding yourself kind of, you Mm -hmm. know, that whole journey of,
5: we're
1: we're all made up of bits of pieces of characters and all, and people, but, you know, to be accepting of who we are. So for me, it was quite a, it's an emotional story and that's why a lot of the themes were it, there'll be some you know emotional thematic stuff but then there'll be some kind of wild bold dark you know electronic yeah. side as well
0: We talked about Clint earlier as well, and you obviously had that kind of experience with working with him on Moon and that yeah. kind of world of sci fi as well. Yeah, when
1: I was recording the piano at uh, Remote Control Studios in Santa Monica, there was this gigantic, like 12 foot, I think it was an alien from the Alien movie, I think, <laughs> in the corner, like literally <laughs> staring me down for 10 hours recording Moon. Wow. <laughs> so it was, it was a great experience. Yeah.
0: We've got a little grand piano there. Would you mind just? I feel like I'm on Graham Norton. I gotta Sorry. Go do something yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> We've got one here. Would you mind just kind of showing us kind of where that, how that, that kind of developed, that, that kind of moon sound?
1: Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'll Clint, come with you Clint's and I'll, I'll the, mic the you. Genius. Um, and then. There's uh, no stairs. Oh, that's okay. Are you
0: okay? Yeah, I've been working out. I should have left it down and I could have lay across it like fabulous. Yes. F- <laughs> f- <laughs> f- <laughs> yeah. Like Michelle Pfeiffer. But yeah, that's just another dream. Okay, hold on, I'm going to come down. Okay. right. I'll hold the mic so you can talk okay. about what you're going to play.
1: I'm taking tips, people. All right.
0: She'd had a brandy glass at the end here. That would have been a great idea.
1: I mean, yeah, we, so when we play this live, I, I literally am um, playing the, the melody on the, in the right hand, and then Clint is playing the, you know, the other part. I, it's been so long now. I gotta.
0: When did you last play live with him?
1: Um, we played, I think it was 2000. Oh man, was it 2017? I think. at the Royal Festival Hall. Yeah, we did Glasgow. The, yeah. Yeah, was it Royal Festival Hall? I,
0: I came to that one. It was amazing. And oh, we okay. introduced them.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was special. Yeah, I know we're due. We need to go touring. Yeah, come on. Okay, sorry. So, th- <laughs> I mean, I haven't played. Okay, I. I anyway. Oh, my Lord. Literally, I
0: don't play Good this with two hands. I feel I like I have put you under pressure here. Oh.
1: I mean, like, but the simplicity of his stuff is so incredible. And like, you know, in the fountain... like like he, he just boils it down to its pure essence and and that's such a great lesson to learn like to actually take elements away from music and mm. and this, he, this pure beauty and simplicity that he's a master of
0: thank you for playing that oh that sorry was really I wasn't gosh. very good get going to amazing thank you Carly. yeah you can sure. I'm going to roll on. Um, <laughs> we're good, we have got a clip of, um, of Welcome to Lunar Industries from Munakshi, which I think we're going to play right now. I was lucky enough to watch you guys play that at a place called the Largo in L.A. Yeah, yeah. Which about eight years ago, I think it yeah. was. And it's kind of the reason that I do this podcast, to be honest, because kind of wow. watching that show, it was a real influence in terms of going, wow, we need to talk about this. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's like he's he's very much part of the reason that, that this podcast exists, this sort of thing. And he's, he's, you know, you were talking earlier about you wrote him a letter or you asked his advice or you asked for, whatever it was that you asked, and, and getting that response. And you say that's a really good piece of advice for people to kind of, you know, don't be scared to ask.
1: Yeah, I, I, I tell everybody the worst case scenario is a no or no re- reply and no harm done there. You just never know because with that one MySpace message mm-hmm. sent <laughs> in like 2006 or whatever, <laughs> um, that that opened up an entire new mm-hmm. life for me really. And that's kind of why I'm here too. Like it just... Uh yeah he I just told him what you know what I thought of his music and how it made me feel and he actually replied and then we were discussing stuff that we were working on at the moment and then I was in LA for the first time 2007 at a, con- a music film conference and then we grabbed a coffee and you know and uh, kept in touch and then yeah 6 months later needed a pianist for Ghent Film Festival and then got that whole band to play on moon so it's just you never know how things can happen unless you try you know, ask.
0: It's like you were saying as well when you someone wanted to use your piece of music and you were like, I'll do the score.
2: Yeah, I think you just yeah. have to take those chances when they present themselves because exactly what's the worst they can say? Oh, we've already got someone. You go, Okay, mm-hmm. well, you know, that's fine. Was that from Mum's List? Yes, it was.
0: Yeah. What then did you did they then send you the script and, and, and sort of be specific about what they wanted or how did it work with Mum's List?
2: Yeah, it was quite unusual with Mom's List because they I, I got involved really, really early. So they just wrapped, I think. And they were just starting the edit. And so I was involved all the way through the edit. Whereas usually you come on, you know, when it when it's locked or a bit later on Mm. in the process. Um so it was amazing and it was incredible being part of it for you know for the whole the whole way through. But at the same but it was hard because you're having you write something and then a week later that scene's gone or it's moved or it's shorter or it's longer. So it, it ended up being a lot more work in a way because yeah. I was just redoing everything but it was amazing not having to deal with the temp score like I was so spoiled the first time because I just didn't know about temp score and I didn't have to worry about it and I got to kind of create the sound of that film yeah. and they edited to that music which was really
0: amazing Well your music was almost the temp score really wasn't it in terms of you know Yeah you <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> amazing position to be in Yeah What uh, I mean the story is so emotional the book is so emotional when you're kind of going into the emotion of the music and stuff did you want to try and not hold back on it, but simplify it or uh, what did you, what were you thinking about or what were the conversations that you had about, about the music emotionally with it?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's such an emotional story and the subject matter is just, it's, it's so hard to not be moved. Yeah. And so initially the director and I talked a lot about trying to, um, you know, to kind of hold back on that emotion and not be too bold with, you know, just try and be really delicate. Yeah. But then actually, as, you know, as we went on and on, I just remember, you know, the director would be like, I think we need more strings. I think we need more, because <laughs> I, initially I said, I don't think there should be any strings. or I think we should really try and just keep it piano as much as possible. And, and then it would get bigger and bigger. And, I, you know, because it, it, it warranted it, I guess. It was just, it was so sad. Yeah. And, um, and you kind of needed the music to mirror that. We've got um,
0: a lovely piece of Kate that we're going to play right now. Let's talk about Mary Shelley because um, I, I this director that you work with she is absolutely incredible. I think that um, I can't say her name probably Haifa Al Haifa, Haifa yeah. Al Masur. Um, she's a really incredible filmmaker in terms of the way that she she kind of really gets to the heart of of women in in her her storytelling. And I just love the way that she told Mary Shelley's story in this film. Yeah. Where did you start with the music with this and with? The addition of it being period and look into that in terms of if that influenced the
2: tone and
0: the instrumentation or any of that.
2: So Mary Shelley was really different to Mum's List as in I came in really late. So it was completely locked. And actually Haifa had kind of gone back to L.A. So I didn't really get to spend that much time with her or talking to her um and but you know it was incredible because she was very clear and she was kind of uh, and and she'd listened to some of my music and she she was kind of happy with it but then she was she she really did let me kind of get on with it um which was amazing and I think that the the fact that it was a period film of course was was a you know a consideration and it it definitely influenced the sound that we ended up with Mm. but the producers were also really really keen that it not feel like a period score yeah um and they didn't want it to feel too grand or too polite or too stilted or too polished or they wanted it to have a kind of rawness and a youth and to feel kind of and a freshness and actually the temp score that they that they had on that was really interesting because they had lots of tracks they had like Agnes Oberlin. and they had some amazing pieces um and and tracks and the tracks worked really well um which was interesting because you wouldn't expect that they would um so that was once we saw that and once we all kind of agreed wow that really works then it it made I I kind of it was a lot freer than I would have been I didn't feel bound to or it has to be something that existed in that time yeah up using voice as well because the tracks had worked so well so I knew I wanted to have vocal there and then I used lots of different synths and electronics and atmospherics and kind of in with the orchestra as well Mm -hmm. just to give it a kind of you know slightly more contemporary feeling.
0: are nice because normally if when we speak to composers they're bugbears that temp score you know it's kind of like just you know you yeah. kind of go so yeah we put this temp score if you can kind of do something kind of similar to it that would be great it's kind of like <laughs> but that's I guess a good example of where temp score actually was a benefit or a, or a kind of a help in terms of you creating something very different and very unique, but it, but it being a really good kind of framework is to give you an idea?
2: Yeah, I think it can be really helpful. I mean, it can also, it can be a huge burden because you're never, you know, often, especially if someone's fallen in love with a piece and you just, you're not going to be able to recreate that exact piece. Yeah. And nor would you want to. Mm. But, um, but it was, in this case, it was actually really liberating because I think the editor had come. I think they'd had one cut where they had really traditional period score Mm. and then they'd got a new editor in and he just kind of completely changed it and he put loads of max richter and he put lots of really cool stuff on there and i think that that kind of suddenly made the producers go oh okay so we don't have to play it safe and go down this road um so it was a really useful tool actually
0: What I love about it, and it's a beautiful album to listen to as a piece of music outside of it being part of this film. And the film is available to watch on, I think I got it on Amazon to watch as well. It's it's up there to watch now. Go and check it out. It's Elle Fanning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, she's incredible. She's amazing. She's so brilliant as Mary Shelley. It's inspired casting. But I love how it's it's, it's unpredictable, you know, particularly that track in terms of you hear those sort of choral voices and you think you know where it's going to go and then it surprises you and that's really wonderful and I guess that's part of is that the nice kind of luxury to have where you can experiment?
2: Yeah it was it was really nice and I think that 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 cue that we just heard actually was the one of the hardest ones to to get and it was one of the last ones that we got right you know that it took had lots and lots of incarnations because it was kind of setting her up and it's the first time you see her and you see her and she's in the graveyard and she's writing so you're kind of immediately in this like gothic world of Mary Shelley but then it also wanted to be but she's this 17-year-old girl and she's playing truant from home and she's you know it was kind of trying to set up that she was a bit of a rebel and just trying to distill her character in that first kind of time we see her but how did you form those kind of the melodies of those choral voices,
0: was that an easy thing? Because there's, there's moments where they marry and there's moments where they're kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's almost like confrontation almost.
2: Yeah, I, I knew I wanted to do almost something that would work in a round. Yeah. So I remember that thing of like being a kid and singing like that Rose, Rose, Rose Red or, you know, those ones that you all kind of start singing. So I knew I wanted to do something like that because I I knew that I thought that it would work really well later on when everything starts to go a bit darker and kind of slightly morph and twist and you can play around with it. So it was just um, finding three melodies that could kind of link and circle and play at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think how long. I can't remember exactly how long it took to get that combination, but there were definitely. I think there were combinations where there were like six different ones, or you know, and then kind of bringing it down because it got a bit complicated. I
0: oh, can't my. fly. Just yeah. Persistent.
2: Trying isn't to get he? a fr- front row seat. Persistent.
0: And <laughs> um, we've got another clip. We're going to play for Mary Shirley right now. It's amazing the imagery that, that music can evoke, you know, and, and I know some of you have not seen Mary Shelley in terms of be so interested to hear what the imagery that that music evokes in your head. And that's really clever because, would well, you want to talk about where that piece of music's placed and what the kind of story behind that piece is?
2: Um, so it's placed, um, she goes to, it's, it's it's when she kind of sees the the galvanization process. So she goes to this kind of freak show almost and this Victorian circusy show and she sees a frog be brought back to life. And it's very kind of campy and big. and But you just see something you know a light inside of her and it's almost like her creativity is is awoken and and you see this happening inside of her so it was trying to i guess demonstrate that that her inner world and her kind of yeah her creativity was was beginning and that story that seed was being planted
0: thank you so much for being here today we've run out of time i want to i was going to say ask you what's next but i don't want to ask you that i want to ask you what's next on your list that you want to do <laughs> Who wants to answer that first? What would you want to do? I'd love to do a Black Mirror episode. Oh, nice. Have you spoken to Clint about that and his experience of it? Um,
2: No, but I loved what he did. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah.
0: There we go. Black Mirror. Amelia?
2: Um, I don't. I wouldn't know specifically what, but yeah. I just want to do something that you know that I get excited about, and that is something that I can really get my teeth into, and that has amazing story, amazing characters, and you know, and work with a brilliant director. So, yeah, you know, I don't mind in what genre. I don't mind in what, you know, for TV or film, or but just just it's more about that kind of re- respond responding to something.
0: Yeah,
3: Emily.
2: Yeah, it's about the same.
3: It's just the collaboration. That's the the most interesting part when you make film is just working with people that you know your respect and just the same.
0: And the great thing is with the three of you is that, you know, in between those moments where you aren't working on a a specific project, you're releasing your own music, which is brilliant. So please keep doing that as well. Thank you guys for being here today. Please can you give a huge round of applause to Emily, Amelia and Carly. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having us. It's amazing. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks so much. So there you have it, composers Amelia Warner, Carly Paradis, and Emily Levenez Farouche, recorded live at the BFI. <laughs> My huge thanks to all three for taking the time to talk to us. Their work is widely available via the usual channels and I highly recommend checking it out. Be that their score for TV and film or indeed their own solo material. All utterly wonderful. Don't forget to head to earthhackney.co.uk if you fancy seeing some of it performed live by the London Contemporary Orchestra too. Now, we'll put a Spotify playlist up for this show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including the three conversations I've had with Clint Mansell about various projects. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And if you do, you'll be in with a shout of winning a huge amount of film-related swag too. Next up, then, is the return to soundtracking of an Academy Award-winning director who's already taken us into the worlds of Amy Winehouse and Ayrton Senna and now unveils his documentary about the one and only Diego Maradona. Asif Kapadia is next week's guest. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company, then. (laughs)